Before we dive into today's message, I actually have a disclaimer about the message today. Um, we are going to be talking about some things that are. Um, we're going to be talking about some things that are PG thirteen. I don't know how else to say it. Okay, uh, and it's in the Bible, and so I don't feel bad about preaching about it because it's in the Bible, and we're taking it just line by line. And so uh, if you have little ones in here, I uh, just want to encourage you guys, if you want to go to City Kids, if not, you may be having a conversation on the way home, but it's a great way to point and to talk about Jesus um, and some things like sex to your kids, okay? Um, so Father, we just thank you for your word, and uh, God, I thank you for what you're going to do today, and uh, Lord, we just love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, so we have, we have been in a series over the Gospel of Matthew, the book of Matthew, uh, and this is actually part eight of this series, uh, and, um, and man, it's, it's, it's getting really good. It's kind of part eight, but this is really like part two um, of this series, and you'll see that as we go through the Gospel of Matthew that is broken up into different parts, and so the first part was really looking at the early days before Jesus began his ministry. And now we're in part two, where we're really looking at what it looks like uh, for the ministry of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And then we're going to get to the parables and the healings and all that other stuff um, as we go on. But last week we opened up with the Sermon on the Mount and, and how Jesus went through the Beatitudes. And then we ended with uh, where Jesus turned and he said, you are the light of the world. Therefore, let your light shine among all men. And, and there's really two things that in the Sermon of the Mount that Jesus is addressing and Jesus is talking about. Uh, the first thing is our love for God, that, that we should have and stir our affection for our Heavenly Father. And, and so Jesus, through the Beatitudes, points us to ways that we can stir our affection. Uh, you're going to hear next week about how Jesus teaches us how to pray and how to fast and how that looks like in our lives. Um, and then the second thing is how we love people. It's very simple. If you want to boil the gospel down into two phrases, it's simple. It's love God and love people. If we can get this right, if we can love God through the life and the ministry and the salvation of Jesus Christ, and then we can love people, we are going to be doing really, really well as a church community. But I think that we're going to start to discover that sometimes loving people is a little bit more difficult than what we would realize. Can I get an amen with that? All right, we'll talk about some examples today. And, and before we get into that, one of the things I want to say is, uh, as we go into to this, um, Jesus is going after the heart in this. He's going after the heart of the audience, the heart of the Pharisees, and the hearts for all of us today, 2,000 years after he preached this sermon on the mountainside, which if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, is absolutely gorgeous, um, and it's just overlooking the sea, and you should go with us whenever we go, whenever there's no more war in the Middle East, uh, which I'll pray for that as well. One of the things you're going to see today is that the condition of your heart or of our heart is best seen in our response to others. The condition of your heart is best seen in our response to others, in response to our kids, in response to our spouse, 
in response to our classmates, to our employer or employees or colleagues, as well as our response to the people that are out there on the streets that are experiencing hardship. Our love for God in the condition of our heart is best seen in our response to other people. And so as we dive into this, um, I just, again, I want to encourage us to just really allow God to just open up our hearts. Um, And it's pretty straightforward today. We're going to finish out chapter 5, which is a lot. Um, But it's, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit quicker. So you guys ready? All right, here we go. Verse 17, right where we left off. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, now that is, I mean, that's, that's pretty bold of Jesus to say that right there. He's essentially saying, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you're never going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, which I want to say is the point why we need a savior, why we need someone who can do it and will do it. And we see that in the life and in the ministry and the deity of Jesus Christ. He does what we can't. He fulfills the law. He lives this perfect and this sinless life um, the way that that we are uh, not able to um, because we live in a broken, fallen Genesis 3 chapter world. And so again, what Jesus is about to do right here is he's about to give six examples to his audience. Six examples um, that, that don't deal with the external, but deal with the internal. I think oftentimes in our society, we preach, let's fix the external, and we ignore what's happening on the internal. Let's, let's fix our habits, and let's ignore the condition of our heart. And what Jesus is going to say six times is, you've heard it said blank, but I say to you blank. You've heard it said blank, but I say to you blank. And when he does this, he's going after your heart. He's going after your heart today, church. He's going after your heart because he wants your heart And he wants it to be transformed to look a little bit more like him today. Something about our heart is um, if we have not embraced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says our heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. Which is like very encouraging, right? Like my heart's deceitful. That's why whenever we hear things like just follow your heart. Like no, your heart is going to cause you to do some stupid stuff. Okay, let me give you an example for me. Um, Your heart, I went to Crossgates yesterday. Your heart is going to cause you to spend more money on clothes than you anticipated. Come on, somebody, right? Like, 
Like, I'm going to Crossgates. I'm walking through Zara, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, T-shirts for $3.99 that are normally $40. Whoo, I feel the presence of God in Zara, right? Like, and I'm sitting there. I'm walking through, and I just I, I bought a few things. And I had to resist myself because it's like, all right, I came here. I'm balling on a budget, balling on a budget. And, you know, I had to make sure I did um, stayed within my budget, which I did. But I had to tell my heart no. Like, come on. It's, it's like... Anyways, your heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. And so this idea of just doing what your heart tells you to do, I just need to say is, is wrong. It's wrong unless you have a new identity in Christ. Ezekiel chapter 36 talks about how God wants to take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, a heart that is in tune with his Holy Spirit, a heart that is leaning into the grace of God, a heart that has a new identity that is found in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things about the world religions out there, if you compare Islam and you compare Hinduism and you compare um, Christianity, you compare any of the world religions out there, Every world religion is predicated in determining uh, or predicated uh, on you trying to obtain some kind of utopia or salvation based upon how well or how good your deeds are. Every other world religion. Every other world religion deals with the external and ignores the heart. Christianity is the only religion in the world that says hey, I know you can't do it, so I'm going to send a Savior who can do it, and that Savior is going after the inward condition of your heart above all else. And then from that inward condition of your heart, the external comes. Hinduism, outwards in. Islam, outwards in. Jehovah Witness, outwards in. Mormonism, outwards, in. It's all based upon how good you are. Jesus, I'm going after your heart. I'm going after your heart because if I can transform your heart, then everything that flows out of your heart will be transformed as well, including how you love one another. And so the, the issue in this culture at this time was that you had people who were broken. You had people who wanted to experience righteousness and who wanted to be in the presence of God. And then you had Pharisees who thought that they had it all together. And the Pharisees were living a very legalistic lifestyle. They would, um, they would go uh, follow the, the law, but then they would go above and beyond, and then they would take these man-made rules and they would then impose them on the other people. And they, they would say things like, because you did not do blank, you're not allowed to come and worship in the temple, or we're going to make it more difficult for you to come into the presence of God. I just need to say something. It sounds a lot like our American churches sometimes. We, we take the simplicity of the gospel, and we impose these extra things. I, I, well, I'll get into that later, all right? I did a podcast, but we'll talk about that in just a, a few minutes. Um, and so what you see right here is Jesus is taking the temple model of worship, of sacrifice, of, of making sure that you followed the law, 
and Jesus is starting to institute a new model or a new covenant of worship that is based upon love, it's based upon grace, it's based upon forgiveness. And, and really what Jesus does, what we're about to see, what Jesus does in these six examples is he takes the law and he raises the standard to a whole nother level. And this is how he raises the standard. Without him saying this, he says, what does love require of me? I want you to think about this, husbands. I want you to think about this, wives. I want you to think about this, teenagers. What do, and single people. What does love require of me? Because it isn't just enough to just you know, make sure that you tithe, make sure that you offer a sacrifice, make sure you go to the temple. Something was lost in the middle of that. And so Jesus is essentially starting to paint this picture of the condition of our heart. And let me just kind of give you a, a few examples. What does love require of you? Or as we said earlier, the condition of our heart is best seen in our response to other people. Think about this. How do you treat other people? Think about this. How do you treat other people? Well, Michael, I, you know, I sometimes tip the barista, which I just need to say, man, everyone asks for tips nowadays, and like, I just don't get it, you know, it's, um, but that's neither here nor there. You need to tip the barista, tip, tip your waitress, your um, waiter, all that stuff, but um, so tip your pastor. I like that. Come on, somebody. <laughs> like, Passing another bucket around? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, but how we treat others. See, it's, it's easy for us to just say, oh, I'm just going gonna to worship God and I'm just going to ignore other people. But what love does is love raises the standard. How you treat your coworkers. How, how you treat your spouse. How you, how you treat those who you have differences with. Or, or how about this? What does love require in telling the truth? Look, how, how easy is it for us to just lie to people? We messed up. We did something wrong. We sinned against someone. How easy is it for us to just sweep it under the rug and then kind of tell a little white lie and just pretend that nothing really happened? How much more difficult is it, but better is it for us to tell the truth? Because whenever we lie... Man, we're really saying, I don't love you enough to tell you the truth. Or, or how about this? What does love require in generosity? Right? With our, with our pocketbooks. What, what does love require with how we steward and how we spend our money? Giving towards other people or sowing into missions or even helping the homeless person out on the street. Um, Man, if you ask the question, what does love require of me, it makes it really, really difficult for you to talk bad about someone. Got real quiet in here. Look, at, I, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Like, it, if you ask the question, what does love require of me, it makes it extremely difficult for you to talk bad about someone and not go speak to them face to face. And yet we see this in our churches all the time. All the time. This is why we've got 77 different denominations in Albany alone. 
well, I don't like that church, and that church doesn't like this, and the pastor did this, and the pastor said that, and the worship leader's not anointed, and the worship leader did this, and can't believe that they do groups. Like, shut your mouth, you Pharisee. We get a little fired up. Here's another one, all right? What, here we go. What does love require of me whenever it comes to sexuality? What does love require of me whenever it comes to pressuring my boyfriend or my girlfriend to have sex with me? See, what, what it does when asking this question, what does love require of me, is it makes it less about you and more about other people and ultimately more about Jesus. Because here's the thing, is like, if you're pressuring your boyfriend or if you're pressuring your girlfriend to sleep with you and to have sex with you and to do all the fun stuff right there, what you are doing is you are creating a regret that one day you're going to have. Because one day you're going to be on the dance floor with your spouse. You're going to be like, let me tell you about this regret that I had six years ago. This is me dancing, by the way. You know, like, it's, I'm sitting here, I'm like, Dance floor, you know. Christy, do you want to come dance? And um, Man, you pressuring your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you may be the regret that they talk about. You may be the regret that they have to go to counseling about. See, what happens whenever you say, what does love require of me, is it makes it less about you and more about other people. And so what Jesus does is he starts to paint this picture with these examples of what does love require me of me. And as we go through this, I want to ask you this internal question for you to just think about. How's the condition of my heart? What is the condition of my heart? Now, as we go through this, I'm going to move quick because it's a lot to cover. Um, so here we go. Let's buckle up. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, there he is, you've heard it said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Man, Jesus is not holding back right here, right? He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and then they... And you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, man, this is like, this is, this is pretty, pretty hard right here. Because what Jesus has said is you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. He's talking about the sixth commandment right here. But then he takes it a step further and he says, if you have hatred in your heart, you're guilty of murder. So what's happening is as Jesus is talking, as Jesus is preaching, you have the Pharisees who are sitting over there and they're like, oh, let's watch this rabbi. This rabbi is doing his thing. 
Oh, he's talking about the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not murder. It's all right, Caiaphas. We, you know, we, you, you didn't murder anyone. Nope, I, I sure didn't. We, didn't. we didn't murder anyone. We're good. But then Jesus says, no, no, no. If you have hatred in your heart, you are guilty of murder. Do you see what Jesus does right there? He's raising the standard. He's raising the standard. And then he says, if, if you have an offense with someone, hear me, city church. If you have an offense with someone, before you come and you offer your gifts at the altar, you need to go and you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to repent to that person. You need to seek reconciliation with that person. One of the things I think many of us need to do is recognize that whenever we mess up, we've messed up. Like, it's, it's good for us to recognize, like, hey, I'm, I messed up. Let me put it this way. Some of you need to own your stuff. You, you need to own your stuff. It's like, hey, I've sinned against her. I've sinned against him. I, I have insulted this person. I hate that person. Look, a quick story. Man, there was someone in high school who I utterly hated. Utterly. Like, I'm telling you, it was, it was one of those, like, I could get along with anyone, but this one person got under my skin. I, was, I, can't, I, I won't tell you his name. But I had to own my stuff, and after Christ transformed my heart, I had to go and apologize to that person. And he's like, what do you mean? You hated me? I'm like, man, I'm, I'm so sorry. I really did hate you. I just wanted to punch you in the mouth, like, all the time. But I was too worried about hurting my hand because I'm not a fighter, like, right? And, and so y'all are laughing at me. You think I'm lying. I'm telling you the truth. God's honest witness. Sometimes I was like, God, I was push him in front of a button. No, I did not say that or pray that. Like, um, but I really had to deal with anger in my heart. We need to own our stuff. Look, if you mess up, own your stuff. Ask for forgiveness. Repent to the person. He continues on in verse 27. He has said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, quoting the seventh commandment. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, and might I say, or a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her or him in their heart. And then he says this, and, and man, people like, you can argue over this, and I'll give you my interpretation of this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of the members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. And, and so here you see Jesus is talking about lust. And, and I think that in our culture... In our society, and we have over-sexualized our culture. We have over-sexualized our society. We have, it is all, it is sex, sex, sex all the time. My son is coming to me, and he is saying, Dad, what does sex mean? Dad, what is sex? Dad, will you please talk to me about sex? Have I said sex enough to make it uncomfortable for you yet? Right? Some of you are like, yes, please, keep going, keep going. Okay, all right, let's make it a little bit more uncomfortable, okay? Um, and, and what's happened is we've, we've normalized a sexual-driven culture, and we've just made it acceptable and okay. And, and what Jesus is talking about right here 
is that if you're looking at someone with lustful intent in your, in your mind or in your heart, you are guilty of committing adultery. Like, that's heavy. That's heavy. So listen, I, I, did, a, I did a little bit of research. Um, and actually, we had a men's breakfast a few weeks ago, and I shared this with the men. But of Christian men, of Christian men, so dudes, I'm talking to you guys for just a minute. 64% of Christian men have admitted that they have an addiction or a struggle with pornographic material at least one time a month. Let's, let's make it a little bit more staggering. 51% of professional full-time pastors in America have a pornography addiction. Yeah, let that, let that sit in. I do not have a pornography addiction, just so that you know. I want to make that very clear. By the grace of God. However, I'm not dumb enough to know that like one little slip up and it could happen. Safeguards. Accountability. And then it's around 37% of Christian women have an addiction with pornography as well. Let's, let's go a little bit further. Pornography is one of the, if not the largest generated income source in the world. If you take Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, go Chiefs, um, and, and you all, soccer, all, someone's, they're fighting words over here, all right? Just, just hold on, just hold on, right? So um, go Cowboys, you know, like, <laughs> we see how that's going, you know? But if, if you take all of professional sports and you combine them together, the pornography industry still makes more money than all of those professional sports, counting like the merchandise, ticket sales, um, streams, all that stuff. The, the pornography industry. Listen, whenever you are looking at something pornographic, you are looking at someone's daughter or someone's son who is created in the image of God. Like, that's, that's serious. And, and I just want to be very, like, honest with you guys. If this is a struggle of yours, it is okay to come and talk about it and to seek help. I, I think in our American culture is we've created these environments that are like, I'm struggling with pornography. I don't want to talk about it. Like, I just got to keep my mouth shut. Like, the pastor definitely can't know. And maybe I don't need to know. That's fine if you don't want to tell me. But go and talk to one of our elders about it. Or go and talk to your life group leader about it. Or maybe one of the people that you serve with and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this area. Because the moment that you allow the truth to come out is the moment that the truth shall set you free. And God can start to deal with the condition of your heart instead of allowing the external things to erode away the condition of your heart. Sexual sin is the only sin in the Bible where it says to flee from. It literally says flee from sexual immorality. Why? I think Jesus knew how hard it would be for some of us to break free from it. It's also the only sin that doesn't affect you. It affects the other person as well. Teenagers, this is why it is so important to abstain from having premarital sex because it's going to affect your partner as well. Marriages are ruined by this. Relationships are broken. Seek help. Seek help. 
is, is, is kind of where I am. All right, moving on. Verse 31 and 32. It was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, again, these are like some pretty, pretty heavy words right here. And so there's two things that I want to say. Sexual immorality in a marriage is biblical grounds for divorce. It is. It is also biblical grounds for restoration and for forgiveness and for healing. And I would encourage you to seek the latter instead of the former. At the same time, I understand that there are people in here who have been married, things did not work out, and now you have been remarried, in which I would say, thank God for the grace of God. Thank God for his grace, because his grace covers a multitude of sin. And, and listen, there's so much about marriage and the doctrine of it that I'm not going to get into all of that today. We can have a separate talk, a separate conversation about that later. Um, but just a few more things that I want to say is like, I, I believe it is important for couples to be equally yoked, for couples to pursue purity with each other, to have the marriage bed undefiled, and also to make sure that there is no verbal or mental or physical abuse that's going on. And I understand that there may be people in here who have experienced that kind of abuse. And it's hard for you to walk into an environment whenever he or she says that they love you and then you're experiencing that abuse, in which I would say, seek help. I love what Matt Chandler says. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. And many of us, we're not okay, and that's okay. But when we seek help, when we seek godly, biblical counsel, we can find freedom, we can find healing, we can find deliverance, and we can ultimately find restoration with those who have hurt us and those who have abused us and those who have cut at us, spiritually speaking. About divorce, and this is what I want to challenge everyone with. People get married and divorced for the same reason. Happiness. I want to get married because I'm going to be happy. And six years later, things get tough. I want to get divorced because I'm not happy. Maybe happiness isn't the thing that you should be searching for. Maybe finding a godly spouse or man or woman who is passionate and fervent in their relationship with God should be a priority. He continues on. Let me just say this, one more thing. All right, last week we gave out a book um, for those that were here that grabbed the book. I think I have like two copies left, so if you were not here last week and you, you want that book, I, I mean, come see me afterwards. I'll give you a copy. Um, but in the book, there is a story that Corey tells about this guy named Mike, and Mike was a megachurch pastor in the Nashville area who ended up having an affair. He had an affair. He was then removed from his position of leadership. Uh, he went through counseling. He went through restoration. And, and then he started attending the Experienced Community Church. And about two years into it, um, Mike started to serve and get involved. And then Corey found out who Mike was. And they sat down. And they had this conversation. 
and, and Mike was then hired back on staff, and today Mike is one of the teaching pastors and leads the internship and all of, um, all of that leadership and ministry. And, and, and let me just say this. That's the power of restoration, and, and our team has gotten an opportunity to meet Mike, to hang out with Mike, and he is someone who openly says, I messed up, I committed adultery, but God restored my marriage. And so if you feel like there's no hope for your marriage today, I'm here to tell you there is hope. It's just got to be found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, going to keep going. Verses 33 today. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But God, you can make hair grow again. I just want to remind you of that. Thank you, Jerry. Come on. Judah's like, Dad, I'm going to pray for hair. I'm like, it's like a cha-cha-cha-chia pet, right? Just like, <laughs> let, it, let it grow out, Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but he's saying, don't make an oath. Let what you say be simple. Yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let me just put it this way. Very, very, very simple point if you're taking notes. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Okay. If, if, I mean, my son did it this morning. I kid you not, last night, they were going to bed, and I was like, all right, do y'all want me to make pancakes in the morning? They're like, oh, Dad, we love pancakes. And then I woke up late today, um, and, and Judah's like, Dad, I want pancakes. And, he, and I'm like, but, buddy, I, I love you, but we ain't got time for that. Like, Dad's got to get dressed. I got to brush my teeth. And he goes, Dad, what do you say? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You said to make pancakes. And so you know what I did at 830 this morning? I stopped getting dressed. I mean, I had my PJs on, and I made pancakes for my kids, and they ate it, and it was glorious. Praise God. But listen, some of us, we overcommit and we underdeliver, meaning that we say we're going to do this, we say we're going to do that, and then we don't follow through. And then some of us don't know how to say no, and therefore we get overextended and overstretched. It is okay to say no. If you can't do something, I would rather someone say, hey, Mike, I love you, man. I would love to be involved or love to do that. I just can't right now. I don't have the capacity. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, no problem. High five. Love you, dude. Love you, sis. Whatever. Um, And then I know where you stand. But to have someone say, oh, I'd love to do it, love to be involved, love to say yes to this, and then they don't show up or they're always late or they're overstretched or they're grumbling and complaining, man, that just makes just an intense, like, serving environment or friendship or hostility. And then I get frustrated, they get frustrated, and credibility is broken and lost. And so what Jesus is saying is for the sake of your integrity, for the sake of your heart, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Verse 38 to the end. We're doing all right today, right? We're going all right. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, 
Go with him to Miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who loved you, what reward would you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Verse 48, as we close out today, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know what he's saying right here? He's saying, hey, I want you to love God, and I want you to love people. What does love require of me. Well, Michael, they talk bad about me. Okay, love them. But, but Michael, I mean, you just don't understand. Like they, I mean, they're really, he talked about my wife. I want to cut them. Like, all right, cut them in your prayers. Like just, you know, just pray, Jesus, bless that person. Like seriously. Like we are called to a standard of love that can only come from Jesus and us being empowered with the Holy Spirit. And guys, it's hard. It's not easy for us to live that and to walk it out. This is why we need gospel community. This is why we need an infilling of the Holy Spirit. This is why we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is why we need the Word of God. This is extremely difficult. One, one of the examples that he gives is he says, go one mile. If you go one mile for someone, go two. And what I think is interesting is in that culture, a Roman soldier could go up to anyone who is Jewish and could say, hey, Matthew, I want you to drop what you're doing and I want you to carry my stuff one mile, and they legally could make that Jewish person go up to one mile with them carrying their stuff. And so Matthew drops whatever he's doing, I don't know, his bucket of fish, and he picks up the soldier's equipment, and he just starts, you know, carrying it. And what happens is Matthew goes a mile being frustrated and irritated, and then after that, the soldier says, thank you, and he finds another Jewish person, and Matthew then has to walk a mile back. What Jesus says is when they do that to you, outdo them with love. Don't go just one mile. Go with them two miles. Because what that's going to do to your oppressor is say, regardless of you trying to oppress me, my God is greater than you. My love is greater than you. My love is greater than the oppression. My love is greater than the hate. My, my love is greater, and I'm going to outdo this with love. Treating people with respect. Guys, we live in a hurt and broken world. I mean, just some of the stories this week on Twitter, now X, or CNN, 
or Fox News, MSNBC. I mean, I, I want you to just think about it, about what's going on in the Middle East, about them talking about potentially Cuba getting nuclear missiles from Russia again, about the intense scrutiny and tension that's developing at the border here in America, about even in our own legislation or legislative um, branch here in New York, there is tension that is erupting. The world needs to see the church love one another. I'm not saying we back down from righteousness. I'm not saying we back down from our convictions. I'm not saying any of that. But let's do it with love. Let's do it being sprinkled with the love of Jesus Christ, being salt to those who have never experienced saltiness, being light in a world that needs light. Like, I want you to think about this. We just had 13 days of cloudy skies and darkness. Anyone depressed over that? I know I was. The Stockdales bought me a sun lamp. Not even joking. Not even, like, I, I hooked that sucker up and just let the beam hit me all, praise be the glory of God, right? But then the sun comes out, and it is glorious. I'm telling you, I woke up yesterday. I was in a great mood. I went to Home Depot twice. I hung out with my step. I went to Crossgates. I picked up poop outside in our yard. Like, it was a glorious day. Ooh, I'm, there is something that happens when light shines in darkness. There is something that takes place in the hearts of men and women when light shines in darkness. And I believe that God is inviting us for our light to shine, to penetrate the darkness of this culture so that the gospel of Jesus could go forth. But it's going to require us loving God fervently and passionately and seeking him. And it's also going to require us loving people, meaning that when we are offended, we go to the person we say, hey, I'm offended with you. When we are betrayed, we offer forgiveness. When we are hurt, we extend forgiveness. Like God has called us to be salt and to be light to a broken and hurting world. We have that opportunity. We have that opportunity. And this is what I want to close with. I promise. I think for some of us, the very thing, the very thing that is holding us back are the things that Jesus talked about. Hate in our heart, lust in our eyes. We want to repay evil with evil. We have greed in our heart. And maybe for some of us, what we need to do this morning is before we start loving people, we need to make sure our relationship with God is right. And we need to get before God and our Heavenly Father. We need to get before Him, and we need to lay down the idols in our heart and say, Jesus, this is yours. And so as we close out today, man, I want to challenge you. And I want to ask you the question I opened up with. How's the condition of your heart? Will you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray. I'm actually going to ask our prayer team, if you guys would, to come up here. 
And we want to open the altars this morning. And man, we want to pray for you. Listen, if you're struggling with pornography, there is no shame here. Come get prayer. If you're struggling with lust, there is no shame. Come get prayer. If you're struggling with hate in your heart and offense, there is no shame today. Come get prayer. There is no shame with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are covered for a multitude of sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But it's going to require you to have a posture in your heart saying, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. What's that one thing that's holding you back today? What's that one thing? Let me pray. Father God, I just pray for your conviction to fall in this place. God, I just pray that right now you would speak to the hearts of the men and women in this room. God, the struggles that they have, the addictions that they have, the sin that maybe they're battling with, the unforgiveness, whatever it may be, God, I just ask that you would speak to our hearts today. Father, that there would just be a moment of repentance and forgiveness, of reconciliation that takes place up here. God, that your presence would just flood this place. Your grace would flood this place. Your love would flood this place, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here into this moment. In Jesus' name. Listen, if that's you, I want to just keep it like this for just a minute. And if that's you, I just, I just want to encourage you to just come up and get prayer right now. There is nothing to be ashamed of. But there is hope, there is healing, there is freedom, there is restoration found in the blood of Jesus Christ. So let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart this morning. And if there's more of you, man, I want to invite you to come up here. We'll, we'll get more people praying. We're going to pray this morning, and we're going to believe that God is about to to destroy some strongholds, destroy some addiction, destroy some things that maybe we have been holding on to. Come on, today is a day of freedom. Today is a day of deliverance. Today is a day of healing. Today is a day for Jesus to do what only he can do.